Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 21 to get this second assembly today started in its sermon as we continue in our list of rules and suggestions from the Bible for Christians and how to relate to politics. Proverbs chapter 21. I can tell you that by random generation at 4 o'clock this afternoon, do you know what proverb goes out? There's 915 of them. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. If you take a flight anywhere and look down and it's not cloudy day, you will see rivers going back and forth and the Lord directs as the rivers of water. Farmers, and it was an agricultural agrarian society that was spoken of here, by sluices and channels, direct water, stop it, damn it, direct it, exactly where they wanted to go for the best benefit of a farmer's property. And so we, it doesn't matter which illustration that you like the best, both of them are rivers of waters. One are God's rivers, and we're thinking of Mississippi, or other large rivers, a reedy river, whatever, and then there's farmers as well. God turns king's hearts whithersoever he will. He turns king's hearts. So rule number 16, God manipulates rulers' hearts. God manipulates rulers' hearts. He told Moses in advance that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. He told him in advance that he would harden his heart to enter into the Red Sea, which would be his demise. Sihon, king of the Amorites, came against Israel when he shouldn't have because God hardened his heart to do so. All the kings of Canaan brought their tribes against the Israelites, though they shouldn't have, in Joshua chapter 11 and verse 20, because God hardened their hearts. Yet, God could put in the heart of Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire to beautify the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Bible is filled with illustrations, and when you think of a king's heart, it's the heart you can't reach. You might be able to win your spouse's heart. You might be able to win your children's hearts. You might be able to win your parents' heart by being a good son or daughter, but you can't influence the king's heart. But God does, and he's our father, and he hears our prayers, so the king's heart is within reach of us. He can turn the most oppressive and powerful monarch into a beast, as he did Nebuchadnezzar. He can use Sennacherib like a saw. I shake him back and forth. And he cuts through nations, and he chastens Israel's. He's just a saw. I'm the hand directing him. His ways are not visible, explainable, or quantifiable, especially to you or me. He even hardened David's heart to number Israel because he had an occasion, he needed an occasion, against Israel to kill 70,000 of them. So he used his servant, the sweet psalmist of Israel, by hardening his heart, by turning him over to Satan for this particular, that's what it says, 2 Samuel 24, 1, 1 Chronicles 21, 1, how does God harden the heart? Turned him over to Satan. So that he wouldn't even listen to Joab, who advised him, this is displeasing to the Lord. And he numbered Israel and it cost 70,000 lives. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, did not touch Sarah 
for God withholding him from that in secret. You're a dead man. Why, Lord? Because the woman that you've taken into your harem is another man's wife. That's repeated in Psalm 105, verses 14 and 15, where it says that God would order kings, don't you dare touch mine anointed. Ahasuerus had insomnia. You want to talk about God manipulating rulers' hearts? And remember, this cannot be a complete exhaustive study, though I'm tempted to make it that, because these are too pleasant and pleasurable to read. Ahasuerus had insomnia. I don't care if it was sleep apnea or what it was. He couldn't sleep. So he got up and decided to read the phone book. The Chronicles of Persia. Some of those who have been here a long time have heard me refer to the congressional record. I was a librarian at a bank a long time ago. I wanted the duty so that anything important that came in, and it was a large room, half the size of this room. All walls were covered with banking and financial periodicals. They all came to me first, and so I was willing to keep them all in order. But the congressional record was one of the documents that came every day. And I watched that thing grow from a couple of hundred pages, very fine print. It's massive. All the ongoings of government are written down. And they were in Persia. So there's Ahasuerus. I can't sleep. Give me the cure for insomnia. Reading the past records of the Persian Empire. And he's flipping through it. And he finds out about Mordecai has never been honored for protecting him from two assassins. God manipulates rulers' hearts. Just trust him. Do you trust him, brethren? The heart of the one leaving office, the heart of the one coming into office is the Lord's. Number 17, God manipulates citizens' hearts. Simple reasoning from the greater of kings to the lesser of citizens easily proves the point without going anywhere. If God manipulates the hearts of kings... He certainly manipulates the hearts and lives of citizens. That's called arguing from the greater to the lesser. Jesus used it. It's in the Bible. Jesus said, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Arguing from the greater example of himself to those lesser. Paul would use it, I'm sorry, this is... Do you want to understand your Bible? I don't need an example. I don't need a verse. For certain things, if I have a verse that applies to something higher and greater. Paul would use it this way. Corinthians, why are you taking these small matters to small claims court or to unbelieving judges? You're going to judge angels. If you're going to judge angels, then you should be able to take care of the little things between church members. Anyway, that would, if God manipulates the hearts of kings, and we just proved that he did by a few examples, he also manipulates the hearts of citizens, then we find lots of examples of it. God manipulated the citizens of Egypt to thrust the people of God out of that country with all the money they could stuff in their pockets and carry. Gold and silver are dense and heavy when you get enough of them, and they press their jewels on them, and they spoiled Egypt. They got all their back wages one night. And the Canaanites would not come after the land that was right there for the taking when the men would leave to worship the Lord. Trends as perverse as sodomy and transsexuals 
are clearly included in God's manipulation of citizens' hearts. So when we see a nation going down, and we can see it being approved at the top, and we can see the demonstrations by the citizens to make sure the rulers allow them to exist, and we see the decline of our nation, it's all in the control of God. He controls the hearts of those in power. He controls the hearts of the citizenship that are turning to sodomy. Romans chapter 1 is the manipulation of hearts because he will give them over to a reprobate mind. The Bible says that. That's a political move upon nations and whole groups of people that they'll change because God will change them in punishment for their sins. And we are guilty of the sins that are mentioned in Romans chapter 1, which is to reject him as our creator and to worship man the creature instead and not to be thankful. God can bring about revival or blinding by his heart work. He can bring a new covenant and write in men's hearts his law. And he can cause an idolater to worship a totem pole and have a lie in his right hand because the Lord has blinded his heart so that he cannot see that what he is doing is absolutely ridiculous. Can't see it. He opens the hearts of people like Lydia. He closes the hearts of people like Roman Catholics when he sends them strong delusion. God manipulates hearts. He is the author of confusion, not in his church assemblies, but everywhere else. One more example before we leave number 17. What did Gideon do with his 300 men and a host that was in front of him as the sand which is by the seashore? How many did he have to kill? How do guys that are thoroughly trained in boot camp, then in advanced training, and then have fought wars together, and they love each other, they're brothers at a level that is serious when you fight together and your lives are at risk, and they sleep together in the same little tents. They are dear friends. And they would gladly tell each other, I have your back if you have mine. And they would gladly stand back to back and fight any foe. But Gideon stands there and blasts on his trumpet about the Lord God of Israel. And what did they do? They all killed each other. Gideon just kept playing Handel's Messiah. And the Midianites just kept killing each other until they were all dead corpses. How does that happen? Now... How do you and your buddy kill each other at the same time? That is very careful manipulation of hearts. Because if God got ahead on one of them just uh, one second earlier, one would be dead. Right. Yes. I, I just I like to read the Bible and think about it. What's actually going on? And God's manipulating hearts, and he's manipulating them wildly, and they all kill each other. This happened over and over. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Amen. You're worried about that huge army out there, but you've prayed to me. Stand still and let me show you what I can do. And they all kill each other. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. I hope you all know who aborts babies in this country. Add it up. Add the numbers up. Apply some percentage of those that would get abortions and how they would have voted. You can forget the outcome of 11 days ago. Just a thought. Number 18. The Bible ignores politics. 
The Bible ignores politics. My first point is, then why this outline? God rejects politics as something to think, act, or worry about. The outline, these sermons, are to turn politics over to God other than the duties or wisdom that he inspired for us to practice. But the Bible ignores politics in the sense that we shouldn't be worrying about it, talking about it, getting stressed over it, fearing, worrying, changing, just trust the Lord, don't look at the sky, sow, reap, trust him. Plant vineyards, have houses, marry children off. This is what the Bible says. Instead of letting it grip us, our hearts, grip our minds, and cause us angst and anxiety about what's going on in Washington. Think about two evils. One is man's curiosity for things above him. Do you remember how David, David, this is David's humility. And David was probably, wouldn't you agree, David being one of the men that deserved to think on higher things? He probably was one of the better thinkers in the Bible, but this is what he said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Politics, with all of its classified information, is too high for us. We don't know what's going on. When decisions are made, we do not know why they are made. We don't know why they are made from God's standpoint. We don't know why they are made from man's standpoint. We don't know why they are made from political standpoints, international standpoints, national standpoints. We don't know what is going on in all of the interactions of government. And so we see a little isolated perspective of something and we get, we get enraged easily. If it weren't for the grace of God and remembering these rules and learning them, man's curiosity for things above him and today's communication. With today's communication, we know too much. Too much is, is, is thrown into our homes and too much of it is spun by the media that want to work us up one way or another. Most countries, I'm moving on in these points about number 18, the Bible ignores politics, Most countries connect nationalism and religion in a way the Bible totally rejects. And that's what I'm rejecting with this rule. The Bible ignores politics. Religion and nationalism don't go together except one time. Name the nation. Israel. That was the church and the nation. Moses directed both. Most Baptist churches in America have an American flag close beside the pulpit. Why? We love our country. Did you just hear the prayer of thanksgiving we had for it? Christianity and Americanism are not twins, either identical or fraternal, and they're not cousins either. Many of the older members grew up with parents obsessed about political junk. I'm one of the older members. Not obsessed. Just letting your son obsess. It's okay. The Lord's taken care of us. I do know your courage not to join a particular political organization when you were being strongly pressed to do so. I was a little boy, barely turning two digits, read everything of theirs, and you wouldn't. You wanted to keep it separate from your ministry. I love you for that. Yes, Dad, I do remember those things. Do you remember? Being pushed. 
Why in the world would a pastor want to be a member of the John Birch Society? Are you kidding me? Why not join the Girl Scouts? Seriously, a minister of the gospel? It's my father. I give God the glory and thanks for him. I was consuming everything I get my hands on at that time. Those people, and I've met many of them, quite a few of them over time, that were obsessed. They couldn't do anything about what they were obsessed about. They accomplished nothing. They were distracted from not only their own personal duties, but they were distracted from spiritual duties. Most men believe the lie that he, meaning you or me, have valuable ideas on how government should run. Do you know what God says about that idea? You're a brute beast, and you don't have a clue of how government should run because you have never even come close to the interaction and myriad of pressures and pulls that are on our president and government every day of their lives. Do you know what he has to be briefed on every single day? It is an enormous amount of pressure from lobbyists and foreign threats and internal economic situations and national security and and maintaining his party's strength and all of it. It's enormous. And the Bible says that we ought not to speak evil of dignities or to despise them because we don't understand what they're doing. So the Bible ignores politics. Most men are rebels, and they're given to change and revolution. They want to do things to change rulers. The Bible tells us not to meddle with them. The Bible records political history for God judging or using it to profit his people. Other than praying, paying, and honoring the basic duties to authority, we ignore politics. No rule in the Bible or example in the Bible exists to read, learn, or worry about national or world events. There are lots of rules and lots of examples in the Bible to read, learn, and know about time and judgment and what we ought to do from the Bible. One of the biggest wastes of time is to read about what occurs in Washington. It's a subtle and sinister distraction for our lives. And the reading matter that's available is so limited in perspective and vile and slant, you lie to yourself by reading it. Lord, help us. Help us stick to your word and trust it. Number 19, godliness is our duty. We've had prayer as a duty. Now we have godliness as our duty. Number 19, patriotic vigilance is for those outside the kingdom of God for an earthly nation. Godliness is our duty. Patriotic vigilance, it sounds beautiful, sounds virtuous, and sounds noble. It's for those outside the kingdom of God that are fighting for an earthly nation. We don't have an earthly nation. Ours is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. Our kingdom is in heaven. Our king is in heaven. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, and various other places. Both kings and people are saved by righteousness. Remember Daniel's words to Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, break off thine iniquities and show mercy to the poor that it might be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Do you want tranquility? Then let's live godly and righteous lives because that's what the Bible tells us is the way to do it. Ten righteous souls could have saved Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain of the Jordan River, but there was only one. Lot, do you understand that we, 
and whatever other congregations that are like us across the country will live righteous lives, we can preserve America. We have preserved America. Back when I was that double-digit boy, when there was pressure on us to join an organization, when I was reading everything they had to offer, the reason was we thought the world was coming to an end. We thought America was coming to an end in the 1960s. And I have listed and shown pictures in our slide presentation called Living Under Obama of those turbulent 60s. But the Lord got us through them. Why? There is a godly remnant in this nation. Let's make sure we're part of it. Then, even if brimstone falls on the rest of the nation, I speak metaphorically, he'll preserve us, the camp of the saints. Only Lot was righteous. Nations that forget God are turned into hell. Nations that forget God. Let's not forget him here. We just tried to thank him for every good thing, right down to mailboxes. We want to thank him for electricity. We want to thank him for 59-cent turkeys. Lord, we're thankful. We give thee thanks. You have blessed us. We are not worthy of the least of all your mercies and all your blessings and favors that you show us every day of our lives. Even single righteous men turned away God's wrath. Do you remember those five? Job and Daniel and Samuel and Noah and Moses could turn away God's wrath by their righteousness. Look at Proverbs 16, 7. You know there's verses, many verses, and I've, I've got them here. Even in this survey for number 19, the rule is godliness is our duty. Let's live. You, do you care about politics? Are you worried about government? Do you want President-elect Trump to change America? Then change your life. Make your life more conformed to what the Bible says in the image of Jesus Christ. That will carry the strongest influence you possibly have. Proverbs 16, 7, one of the rules of godliness is our duty. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. David's ways please the Lord, he could live in Gath. Hello? Gath was the hometown of Goliath. Everybody that was there, David's age went to high school with Goliath, and they played football with him. You know he was on the football team. Wouldn't you want a nine-foot-nine-inch left tackle? That quarterback could stand back there all day long and throw. David lived in Gath. The king of Gath considered David like a son. How does that happen? When you are on the job, if your ways please the Lord, and I am measuring your ways by the Bible only, not by me, not by you, not by anybody else, by the Bible, your enemies will be at peace with you, is the general rule. Now, sometimes God is accomplishing other purposes, and so it appears that Proverbs 16:7 is not true, but it is true as a general rule. Sometimes God may be working a different verse on your behalf than that one. But this is a rule. And so godliness is our duty, and our enemies can be at peace with us if we're living a righteous life. Number 20, life is very short. Life is very short. We must redeem time, which is to buy it back by careful use of time. The Bible tells us to redeem the time. 
since you're in Proverbs so close, those that have turned their Bibles, look at 18.1. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Where does the wise man from Ecclesiastes 8.1 come from? Where does that man come from, Ecclesiastes 8.1? That's from the beginning of this morning. Who is as the wise man? Who can interpret things? Where does he come from? Right here. Through desire. He wants to be wise, so he separates himself from all the distractions, and politics are a distraction that is worthless. You can't change it. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your praying. It doesn't help your family. It doesn't help your moods. I speak all of this as an expert. And by watching all of you. And many in my life. Through desire a man, having separated himself, he pulls back and gets rid of those things in his life that distract him from the pursuit of wisdom. Then he seeks and intermeddleth with all wisdom. And where is wisdom? It's devouring this. If you're interested for the time being on politics between now and January 20th, learn this with me. Learn it with me. Send me a point if you want 71. By the time you send it, I might have 90. Learn this with me. Let's separate ourselves from the distractions to learn real wisdom. Remember, there's pundits and media and spins on both sides of the political road. Liberals and conservatives both spin things the way they want to spin them to move you the way they want to move you. We want to be moved one way, the crown of the road, as God directs us. Political worry is very wasteful, for you can do nothing about things you learn. Political reading is very distracting, for it takes you away from more important duties. Political learning is very tempting, because it causes angst and anger to curse the government. Jeremiah and Paul said to enjoy life. Paul's words are that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We are not near the kind of distress that Corinth and other saints had that's recorded in the Bible. Don't worry, be happy. Your anxiety proves your lack of faith or real purpose in life. All of that is under number 20. Life is very short. Number 21, all events are good. Wow. All events are good. God only allows events to praise him, including evil ones. Psalm 76 and verse 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. Amos chapter 3 and verse 6. Amos 3, 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? A trumpet of warning, an alarm. Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? No, impossible. The Lord's done it. Can the Lord do it and still hold the person doing it responsible for what they did? Yes, Yes. Romans chapter 9. The most important verse, single verse in my conversion. Paul asking a rhetorical question, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? How could God judge Pharaoh when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Jonathan Crosby, you will say to me, reading this passage, why doth he yet find fault? 
for Pharaoh was just doing the will of God. Nay, but, O oh man. Nay, but, O oh Crosby. Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? All events are good in God's secret will, though there may be much evil in the hearts of the one committing it. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was a good event. The men that did it were all held responsible for it and ground to powder. The chastening of Israel was a loving father chastening them by the Assyrians, but God pounded Sennacherib for the crime. No event occurs outside its perfect will, no matter where you look or consider. Whether an election, a war, an assassination, or other political event, trust God. Evil acts are sin to the involved sinners, but God is working his secret will. That is Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. You cannot see, I cannot see, even 1% of an infinite number of good reasons or good results from what we look at as an evil event. God made even the wicked in their judgment for himself. Believe it. Proverbs 16.4. Number 22, God handpicks each ruler. He raises up and puts down kings, even if the basest of men. Hopefully I don't have to turn to any more verses. Did, where did Pharaoh come from? In Egypt. The one, the one that uh, persecuted the Jews. The one that chased them into the Red Sea. The one that wouldn't listen to Moses. The one that said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? This is number 22. God handpicks, that's one word, each ruler. Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Where did that mean Pharaoh come from? I raised him up. Where did King Saul come from? Samuel presented Saul like this. Here's your king to Israel. This is the one that the Lord hath chosen. What do you think? God save the king. They had themselves a champion. And God changed his heart. God handpicks each ruler. What about your parents? God handpicked your parents. What about your children? God handpicked your children. We believe that. Your spouse. You say, well, I picked my spouse. Really? How did you meet your spouse? How did you have two eyes to see your spouse? All the circumstances that can be added up, God chose your spouse, even if you think you made a decision in the matter. We think we made a decision in the matter of who we'll have as president on January 20th, but who really picked our next president? God did. God handpicks every ruler. He handpicked Pharaoh. He handpicked Saul of Benjamin. Did God know that Benjamin was not going to be the tribe of leadership for the nation of Israel? Mm -hmm. Yes, he knew it because he had read it in Genesis chapter 49, long before when it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And Saul was from Benjamin. Both the office and the man or the woman in it in their current state of mind is God's. They are called God's and God's children correctly and appropriately by him in Psalm 82. The problem occurs when you dislike a ruler's person, his platform, or his performance. 
And, and you want to think that it's a, it's a mistake that he's there. He doesn't belong there. We shouldn't have elected him there. It was, it was retarded people that put him there. God put him there. Right. It doesn't matter to God whether it's by duels in the backyard of the White House or by an election or by a military coup. Right. It doesn't matter. God arranges the winners and the losers. This is truer when we vote in an election. Do you understand that there's danger voting in an election? See, once David was king, who was going to be the next king? The son he chose. Who was going to be the next king? The son he chose. Who was going to be the next king? The son he chose. But you get to go in there, you read up, you go to CNN. No, not CNN. Fox. Drudge. You go, you read, yeah, I'm going to make an intelligent decision. Go in there and slam it for Trump. I mean, President-elect Donald John Trump, you go in there and push a button, and so it gives you a sense of authority and a, and a sense of criticalness that I wish we didn't have. But I thank God for the system that we're in, and I hope you all used it the right way. It's like in a marriage. You're having trouble with your spouse. I wish I hadn't chosen them. I wish I hadn't said I do. I wish, I wish God arranged all of that. God gave us the president and God gave us your spouse. No matter your little tiny role in it, God arranged all the circumstances so that you made that decision like falling off a log. And so instead of thinking that you have some right or that you're justified to criticize because you made a choice either to criticize former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton or to criticize President-elect Trump when he's in office and doesn't do what you want him to do, forget all that. God chose him. Number 22, God chose him. Now that's, don't write down those words. The words are God handpicks each ruler. I just I fear about elections and how they affect Americans. And it's, it's like marriage, and so I use that illustration. A woman is not justified to hate a husband because she made the choice for him. Number 23, and we'll end. Rulers are God's ministers. Rulers are God's ministers. This comes from the pen of Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 13, And I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. Not the whole passage because it refers to other rules. Romans 13, 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. This is the general role of government. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. That's just an incredible sentence. We learned it a couple of years ago when we went through Romans phrase by phrase. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Rulers are God's ministers. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God. He's a minister of God. He's God's ambassador. He's God's representative on earth. President Barack Hussein Obama is God's representative on earth. And he's God's most powerful representative on earth. For he is the minister of God 
a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers. When you pay taxes, you're paying tribute to God's ministers. And here's what they're doing all the time so that they can't earn a living other than your tax payments. Attending continually upon this very thing. What is the very thing they're attending continually upon? Being God's ministers for civil order. And it doesn't matter what governor you, what, what ruler you pick. I will show you that their nation had civil order. I don't care if they blaspheme God. He'll take care of that. They had civil order. Hitler's Germany had civil order. Let me tell you, more than our nation has civil order. They were incredibly efficient, incredibly productive. And that little tiny landlocked nation of Europe practically held off the rest of the world for a couple of years. And except for a few strategic and tactical mistakes, thank you, Lord. You're the general of generals and the fuhrer of fuhrers. There was law and order. You say, all you can think of is what you've been sold by the press and the media, that the Gestapo are clicking their boots down the streets and killing Jews at every corner, and that's all you can think of. How in the world did the factories run if everybody was in terror of the Gestapo? The factories ran well. The whole nation ran well. Have you ever seen their uniforms compared to ours? Have you ever seen their guns compared to ours? Have you ever seen anything compared to ours? They still do a decent job with cars, don't they? Where'd that Z4 come from? Don't tell me Greenville. Mercedes? Forget all that. What you need to remember is, you, you think in your mind that rulers that you don't like didn't perform what this chapter says they do. And they did. If men stole, they were punished. If there were murderers, they were punished. There was law. There were marriage certificates. There were documents whether you were married or not, and so forth and so on. Rulers are God's ministers for social, national, political order. Just like a father is for the order and arrangement of his family to be efficient, honorable, noble. Does every father do an equal job? No. Do some families suffer because their dads don't do it? Yes. But what is the dad's general rule? And generally, dads keep order in families. Rulers are God's ministers. I made a statement in the first sermon this morning that uh, when, when, you, when we're anarchists and we're not submitting to authority and we're like animals, that was wrong. I was corrected at break time. The animal kingdom often has much more order to it than anarchists. The strongest survive. Is it, what kind of a lion leads a pride of lions? The best. He has the wounds to show it, but the others don't have, they're, they're corrupting in the earth, yes. or they've run away to hide someplace. Different kinds of animals our brother Chris wanted to remind me that even chickens have a... Becky in order.
Chaldean soothsayers last Sunday, chickens in a pecking order this Sunday, what's next week? Very appropriate that even in the animal world, there's usually one in charge that enforces his authority on the rest, protects the rest from outside intrusion, and keeps it orderly, leads them where they ought to go. Even tribes of savages usually have some civil authority to protect and to provide. How do a trillion cars pass each other daily at fatal speeds with few accidents? Traffic control by the civil authority in every nation, every na- including Germany. Where's the Autobahn? How do you get to deduct mortgage interest and church giving from income? How do you get to deduct mortgage interest and church giving from income? Because they're ministers of God to thee for good. They implement policy and they implement preferences by tax law. That's why it takes you a few minutes to do your tax return or a few hours to do your tax return because all those complicated little formulas you're going through and the different deductions and additions and subtractions from income are to implement policy and preference in America. They want you to own your own home. Remember what you said? Remember what we were talking about at break time? Thankful for our own homes? Because that's one of the government goals of our nation. We can disagree with it or not. You benefit from it. That's all the point is right now. Rulers are God's ministers for good. How do homeschoolers avoid compulsory education and still get college grants? They're ministers of God to us for good, and sometimes they just flat out overlook things. They make abortion a law, but then they tax those that abort their babies more than they tax us who have their babies, so there is a transfer of wealth from those that abort babies to those that don't. When you fight City Hall, you fight God and His wisdom which is your folly. God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant many times over all nations throughout the book of Jeremiah. God called Cyrus the Persian, Persian, my shepherd, my shepherd who will take care of my sheep, who will do all my will toward them. God used civil rulers to benefit his church, whether it was Pharaoh with Joseph or Artaxerxes or Nero with Paul. Paul benefited from the Roman government. Rulers are God's ministers. They're God's ministers for good to us. That good sometimes get, gets clouded by us reading about their personal religious habits or some law that they've, pract- uh, that they've legislated or some war that they get us involved in, but we still have slept safely. I grew up during the Vietnam War. We weren't at threat in our homes. There was still law and order on the roads, in the schools, in our homes. There were still policemen practicing the control of society. That's what they, they're ministers of God to us for good. And so we remember that, and that's number 22. And may the Lord bless us to learn these, believe these, be persuaded of them, embrace them, and confess them one to another as being part of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we live without fear, we live without worry, we live with proper honor to our authorities, we pray for them, we pay them, and we obey them. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.